Hey, welcome to Brainworms Podcast, the podcast that serves you a big steaming bowl of literary garbage. I'm Joe. I'm David. And I'm Chris. And today, despite our best efforts and desires, we're going to talk about Norman Bhutan's epic Empress Teresa some more. I did some further research and discovered that he has an author's bio on Amazon.com. So we're going to dig into that for a minute. Uh, here we go. My biography has something in common with everybody's biography. How do we get through this world? When Teresa's death seems only minutes away, she makes a final statement. I once read a famous quote by the Shawnee. In- I know, right? And and, and again, I, I'm going to interrupt myself. I need to clarify, this is his author's biography telling us nothing about himself. Just here's <laughs> this, this one book. Um. Anyway, when Teresa's death seems only minutes away, she makes a final statement. I once read a famous quote by the Shawnee Indian chief Tecumseh about singing a death song and going out like a hero. I had rewritten it for more universal use, never dreaming that I'd use it myself so soon. If people grieve your passing, rejoice. There's no punctuation in this. God damn it. <laughs> it like it, it's hard to get like the, the stops and pauses because there's not, there aren't apostrophes and commas like there ought to be. If people, why, why don't you just read it? Read it as the author has written it. <laughs> if people grieve your passing, rejoice in the good you did and die like a hero going home. I feel good about who I was. Empress Teresa illustrates universal themes in Teresa's story. I developed the story for Empress Teresa over a 20 year period. It contains many, right? It contains many insights into the human condition carefully woven into a story that never fails to keep your interest. I don't agree. (laughs) The story is unlike anything I've ever seen anywhere. It's one of a kind, fair enough. Once you have the basic (laughs) premise of the story, that Teresa acquires tremendous power, the question becomes, what do I have her do with her power? This is very difficult to answer. It's easy to come up with ideas, but are they good ones? I rejected a hundred ideas. (laughs) Nope. I rejected a (laughs) hundred ideas over the years, keeping only the very best. They had oh to my make God. Up... I would pay so much money to know what those 100 oh ideas were. Oh my God. Yeah, I'd love to see the cutting room floor for <laughs> Um <laughs> They had to make up some logical, continuous story, or Teresa would have looked like a stage magician doing one meaningless trick after another. You will see that the story is so logical, the next situation could almost be predicted. It's in the explanations in the text that you say after the fact. Oh, yeah, I should have guessed that. So on March 17th, 2014, after talking about the book for years on half a dozen website forums, I announced the paperback edition on Catholic.com forums. Within weeks, note the dates, all caps, three exclamation points. Five people I debated on Catholic.com forums wrote horrible Amazon customer reviews. More have joined the frenzy in subsequent months. Most of them haven't even read the book. Empress Teresa has an uplifting, inspiring message for young people and the not-so-young. 
If these negative reviewers didn't like the message, they could have simply ignored it and walked away. But they want to kill the message. (laughs) (laughs) Observe for yourself that they don't say a word about the book's message. They don't want people to know what it is. The lesson from this story, don't talk about your book on the internet. (laughs) The mudslingers will come after you. From from page 145, someone who wants to do God's will has an unconquerable ally. Teresa can't be defeated. Father Do-Naughty? Do-Naughty? Father Do-Naughty, speaking to reporters about Teresa. It's hard to understand people who want to kill a positive story. They can't succeed. Let me repeat the idea. Teresa can't be defeated. Two mothers of eight and nine-year-old girls read the book with their daughters and wrote reviews with positive remarks. God bless these ladies. On page one, 10-year-old Teresa says, my job as a kid was to figure out what the heck was going on and what to do about it. It's not easy when you're young and everything is brand new. Soon, Teresa learns that knowledge is not the only challenge in life. There is the unknowable, the uncertain, the dilemma when you really can't know what to do. In the middle of the story, Teresa says, how can anyone know what is the right thing to do? Teresa's challenge reaches another level. The pressures on her are tremendous. If she fails, it will be a disaster for everybody. People watch her carefully to see if the latest crisis will finally make her crack. What is it that keeps her going? All in capitals. Her challenge reaches one more level. She has moral decisions to make. She acquires limitless powers, but what should she do with them? Everybody knows what an evil person would do, but even a good person like Teresa might do the wrong thing. She is tempted to bring in a new order of society to reduce poverty and justice and suffering. Who could resist such temptation? Teresa decided that her wisdom can't outweigh that of millions of people. Instead of changing the world, she leaves it alone. Uh. What would Jesus do? Um, She's not the hero we need. She's the hero we deserve. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, boy, almost done. Uh, Empress Teresa might have been written differently. I had to choose which direction to go, and in this decision, I felt a certain responsibility to the public. The storyline could only be used once, and then it goes on the shelf forever. I didn't want a million women coming after me with a noose complaining. Why did you make Teresa a slut or a drunk, a dumbbell or mental illness case or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Norman, you only need to say et cetera once. (laughs) This was our only chance to see a young woman in a position of Teresa's limitless global power, which is weird because comic books exist, but okay, man. You couldn't give us a better hero than that? Well, I did. Teresa is not perfect, but she's pretty good. I hope you like the story, Norman Bouton. Okay, so two things. One, yeah. apparently um, his his protagonist, his heroine here, has limitless godlike power that in her infinite wisdom she chooses to do absolutely nothing with. So what the fuck's the point, Norman? The, yeah. The world looked up and shouted, save us. And Teresa <laughs> looked down and said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and and also, this was his author's bio. 
His bio, yeah, on Amazon. I know nothing about him now. No. Like... Except that he really loves this book. Yeah. And I kind of knew that going in, you know? Yeah. Like... like, even the website, it, it makes it pretty clear that he's poured his heart and soul into Empress Teresa. I was, yeah. was going to point that out. Like, uh, it, it's funny. Like, this whole bio is is as if, like, this one book is, like, the one thing he has written ever plans to write or ever possibly could conceive of like there will never not be empress teresa like in his mind no i think that's probably an accurate assessment honestly like i i think um norman is not a person who set out to write books norman is a person who set out to write this book and uh I, i guess that's okay which is weird because it feels like he put more effort into this than Tolkien ever put into Lord of the Rings. Yeah, maybe not effort, but but emotion. Like he put like like he put so much of himself into Empress Teresa. I I just keep coming back to the fact that he you know spoiler alert again, kind of right. reveals in his author's bio that by the end of the book she makes the choice that. No, I could fix all of the world's problems, but nah. <laughs> and I guess, you know, it's sure anti-authoritarian uh, people are going to have to save themselves sort of philosophy I can get behind. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, maybe a nudge, Teresa, that... Yeah. Also, what's interesting is... Um... Teresa has godlike powers and we can assume that comes along with like some kind of omniscience. Um, So from Norman's point of view, whatever she does is going to be the most wise decision ever made or could possibly be made by like a human intelligence. I can't wait. If you like us, we're, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Uh, drop us a message, drop us a like. Um, and we also have a Patreon at Brainworms Podcast. And that's what supports the show, keeps us going. All right. So once more into the breach here. And... Uh, This is chapter 22. Each of the chapters on his website start with an author's note. And I'm going to go ahead and read the author's note before we get into the chapter. Author's note. This chapter is my personal favorite, but that's probably because I've been over the story so many times that nothing surprises me anymore. No doubt first-time readers will find the surprises in other chapters make them their favorites. One of my most persistent critics on Amazon, who misses no chance to criticize me and my book, as you will see, did write this about Chapter 22. The transatlantic transatlantic flight scene was so tense and exciting that I'm almost positive someone else wrote it. For once in the entire book, the situation was completely out of Teresa's hands. Her powers, which were her primary crutch, misfire and put the lives of a hundred or so people in her hands she had to deal with the situation knowing that she didn't have how to save her 
if she failed. It was the only time she was truly vulnerable to harm, and it played out beautifully. I truly believe that this was a fantastic part of the book, and will swear my word to that effect. And then Norman comes back in to say, Actually, there are several situations in which Teresa's life is in danger and she can't use Howl to bail her out. This is the only chapter which reads like an action story, a James Bond or Mission Impossible story, let's say, and my critic uses this to hint I didn't write it. Well, I did write it. Empress Teresa is a character study story, not an action story, but there are jaw-dropping scenes. Chapter 22 is unique in several ways. It contains a complete story in itself. Teresa is alone. For once, she has no use of her powers. Getting through this episode must be done solely through her ingenuity and courage. It shares some elements of an old Hollywood movie storyline, but it adds a few new twists. More than any other chapter, it shows her thinking processes to work through many problems of a complicated situation in a short time. Teresa is 19. Okay. So, <laughs> with that <clears throat> in mind... Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, not, none of this... Leave, leave none of this to be, uh, like, subtly... Uh, displayed through you know the the story or anything just tell it to us straight norman <laughs> right yeah it's like yeah. you're using these author's notes to like tell us this is how you should feel about what you're reading i i feel like you don't actually have to read the book you could just read each of the author's notes and his bio yeah and... yeah <sighs> all right let's let's do it the day came when Steve and I had to say goodbye to the Parkers. It was an emotional occasion. So much had happened in the last year, it seemed like we'd been in the house most of our lives. Now the reality that we were leaving was very hard to bear. We were all packed and the luggage had been sent ahead of us. Also, all the plywood and mat boards that I used to control Hal had been put in crates. Wait, they would be tr Wait, yeah, I... I don't know. There's like 21 chapters that probably uh, touch on that. <laughs> Let's assume that Hal at some point comes out of her and she you know, has to keep it a secret. So she uses plywood to box in the <laughs> omnipotent alien creature. Right. Yeah. And that works. Yeah. Yeah. As you do. They would be transported by the British Navy under close guard. I couldn't let them fall in the wrong hands. They were as dangerous as a shipment of plutonium. Steve went down first and asked Arthur to join him in the family room out of sight of the Parkers. Arthur, Teresa says you helped us a lot. She wants to reward you. Here's $10 million. Don't refuse to take it. It's nothing to Teresa. She wouldn't pick it up off the ground. He sh so what? apparently she's become what? very, very wealthy in the apparently. last nine years as well. Um, Good to know. Don't let her plywood fall into the wrong hands. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if the Russians get a hold of this, God knows what they'll do. He showed Arthur a large suitcase full of $100 bills. Arthur was deeply moved. Thank you, sir. I guess you'll hire your own butler now, Steve joked. 
No, sir. You have made this house a shrine to the human spirit. I will never leave. Steve returned to me, and we took one last look around at the bedroom and my workroom where so much good had been done. We went downstairs to say goodbye. The entire Parker family and Arthur waited in the living room, wearing brave smiles to cover their sorrow. I went up to Edmund Parker to shake his hand. Goodbye, Mr. Parker. Thanks for everything. Farewell, my dear. You will write? I will. Steve shook Parker's hand, too. I went on to Mrs. Parker. Thank you for the use of your lovely home. You made it a true palace, Teresa. Well, I mean, probably one made of plywood. Yeah. Next was the 17-year-old son, John, and 13-year-old Stephanie, who could barely keep her eyes dry, and 11-year-old Jennifer, who was crying like she was losing everything she valued. Most painful of all was saying goodbye to Arthur, standing a respectful ten feet away. I walked up to him and shook my head side to side with a teary smile. (laughs) I'll miss you most of all, Scarecrow. I mean, Arthur. (laughs) (laughs) I wrapped my arms around his neck in a tight hug. The normally imperturbable man came close to losing control. I lost control of my godlike strength and murdered him. (laughs) (laughs) I walked away quickly. The Parkers and Arthur were left in mournful silence. Empress Teresa, the humble world saver and conqueror, the right hand of God, was no longer in their lives. Wow. She's uh, (laughs) humble, certainly. Yeah. World saver and conqueror, right hand of God. Very Mm -hmm. humble. Very humble. Colonel James gave us a ride in an unmarked car. Plane tickets had been arranged secretly, thanks to Prime Minister Blair. The media knew we were planning to get home on July 1st, but didn't know how we'd travel. When we got to Heathrow Airport, we were rushed through staff doors and halls and loaded onto a Boeing 747 before anybody knew it. We were first on the plane. Other passengers came later and were surprised to see us. The ever-present security men had the seats in front and in back of us to act as a buffer zone from the curious. People waved and shouted hi to us, but we ignored it. This was the way it had to be, and if people didn't like it, too bad. I'd never been in a 747 before and couldn't believe how big it was. Could this thing get off the ground? (laughs) Well, it did. We took off. The plane crossed England and headed out over the Atlantic toward New York City. Savior of the world, right hand of God, doesn't understand basic... uh, Aerodynamics. Yeah. Yeah. There were two aisles. Stewardesses were coming down both aisles with their snack carts. One stewardess stood ahead of a cart and the other stood behind. We all watched them intently because we were like helpless children waiting for treats. The plane was so big there were several more sets of carts far behind us. I feel like Norman is just describing his, his own like like just just recently before he wrote this section he went on an aeroplane for the first time for the first time and he was just amazed like what this giant flying machine in the sky and they give us snacks (laughs) (laughs) all four stewardesses fell to the floor 
Everybody else collapsed in their seats. Steve was unconscious, too. Steve! Steve! I felt his carotid and found no pulse. I was terrified that he was dead, but a slight hope kept me from panicking. They'd once thought I was dead for two weeks. I was in what we were calling deep sleep. Could Steve only be in deep sleep? This thought kept me from losing it, but I was still scared for him. Okay. Norman doesn't know how anything works. (laughs) (laughs) Now was the time to think clearly if there ever was. Why would Hal be putting everybody into deep sleep? I was in a plane. I'd made several plane flights around Europe and nothing happened. What made this flight different? The size of the plane, maybe? I was flying over the Atlantic. (laughs) I want to point out real quick that like, like earlier, he said the news were, were going to, they knew we were coming, but they didn't know how. Like, it's over an ocean. You got two options, <laughs> boat or a plane. Yep. My government kidnappers put me in a plane and flew out with me to the carrier in South Atlantic. This flight was getting Hal to rummage through his repertoire of reflexes. His mindless logic said something had to be done about this situation. There were four things to go after. The carrier, the Atlantic, the plane, and my kidnappers, including Steve. So, okay, I'm assuming that if I had read between these chapters, I would know why she cares about Steve if he's her kidnapper. But, moving on. Yeah, or like, was there some past chapter where she was kidnapped on an airplane? And, And maybe her omniscient fox alien spirit doesn't have any sense of context so it's just going oh no not again and and just murdering everyone on the plane well there were four things to go after the carrier the atlantic the plane and my kidnappers including steve hal saw no carrier he couldn't eliminate the atlantic ocean the plane might be a part of me the only thing left was eliminating my kidnappers. This but I had never killed anybody, and neither had Hal. This must be all of that logic he was referring to in his bio. <laughs> and of like, oh, I should have seen that coming. <laughs> <laughs> he had put me into deep sleep last year. He put my kidnappers into deep sleep now. Who was flying the plane? Oh my god. <laughs> Well, probably the autopilot. I mean, honestly, that, like it's yeah. it's going to get you all the way to where you're going. You pretty much just need the pilot to land the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's actually exactly right. Um the the pilot, pilots are basically there for takeoff and landing and everything else is more or less autopilot or if something goes wrong. Yeah. Right. You know, like a giant alien <laughs> sphere putting everyone on the plane into a sleep, but okay. Sure. I stepped into the aisle that was blocked by the snack cart, but they couldn't block both aisles at the same time. The center seat section had crossing aisles to use to get from one aisle to the other without crawling over four people. The carts were staggered in front and in back of those crossing aisles so that anybody could go to the front or back of the plane any time. I went through a crossing aisle to the left and walked forward. The journey seemed like several miles. It feels like a whole lot of words to explain something that didn't really need to be explained. No. 
just just I, I got into the aisle and it was fine. Right. We don't need to talk about the carts. The Boeing 747 had a circular staircase leading up to a lounge. Finally, I got to the cockpit or flight cabin, whatever it was called now. The pilot, co-pilot, and navigator were in deep sleep, I hoped. The pilot wore earphones. I didn't want to disturb those and carefully put them on a kind of shelf to his left. I pulled him out of his seat and lay him down on the floor. Is he I putting them on a shelf, disturbing them? What? What What did yeah. she not want to do if taking them off of his head and putting them in another place yeah, was I feel acceptable? Like disturb may have been not the word he was looking for. Maybe damage? Sure. Uh, well, well, I mean, how does taking... Keep, keep going. Just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I assumed his seat and put on the earphones. They were silent. There were no adjusting knobs on them or anything like that. She's going to fly the fucking plane. She's going to fly the plane. I'm so excited. <laughs> I looked over the control panel. Some lights were on. Some weren't. That there were four computer work. monitors stacked two by two. They must be for displaying all kinds of data. They no. were all blank. <laughs> the plane's electronics were dead. I looked up at heaven with an accusing look. Couldn't God give me a break once in a while? I mean, really, this was going too far. I mean, what about phenomenal godlike powers and being a fucking millionaire? That sounds like a break, <laughs> Teresa. Yeah, it seems like you've got every advantage. Um, oh, man. In a few seconds, I remembered there had to be hundreds of cell phones on the plane. I could use them to communicate with the ground. I went we back downstairs. <laughs> the ground, obviously. <laughs> I went back downstairs to the passenger cabin. Virtually everybody in this plane had to have a cell phone. I quickly found one in a woman's handbag. It was dead. I found two more phones in men's shirt pockets, but they were dead too. Why? I remembered something Steve said a few months back. He was talking about the deep sleep Hal put me in. He put dark matter in you to hold your atom nuclei in place oh by gravity. But this wouldn't work if electrons could move around. You would turn to soup. There was enough dark matter to keep the electrons from wandering around. Norman, no. And later she's going to bounce a graviton particle beam off the main deflector dish. <laughs> No, he doesn't understand airplanes. Where the <laughs> fuck does he get off talking about dark matter? They have any idea how little gravity an atom has. <laughs> it's microscopic. Oh my god, Norman, no. I knew a little about physics. Computer chips used very low voltages. It wouldn't take much to interfere with the electrons. But electric lights and things like that use voltages 10,000 times higher. The sophisticated electronics I needed to learn how to fly this thing were dead. But this was not enough to bring down the plane. The earliest planes couldn't have had any electronics. They were all electrical. This plane had to have all kinds of backup systems. Stop. Enough to let the pilot play. <laughs> stop, 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 stop. I need you to reread the bit about electronics. The earliest, <laughs> no problem. The earliest planes 
couldn't have had any electronics. They were all electrical. <clears throat> this plane... I, I need to stand up for a second. Hang on. Hang on. Just... I, think, I think Norman broke him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Come back. Come back. Are you going to be okay? Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. Continue. <laughs> Are you going to be okay? All right. All right. <laughs> this plane had to have all kinds of backup systems, enough to let the pilot fly no matter what, if he knew how a plane works. I didn't. Oopsie. I, made... <laughs> <laughs> I made an accusing look up to heaven again, much longer this time to show him how mad I was. I had reached the end of my patience and let him have it. What's the purpose of this trial? Does it have a point? Didn't I prove my courage in the South Atlantic last year? What more do you want from me? I'd seen an old movie about a stewardess having to take over a plane, but she at least had some knowledge about flying, and she had radio communication. I had neither. I think she flew an old-fashioned propeller plane. I had this damn flying movie theater to deal with. There was nothing to do but go back upstairs. By the time I got up there, I realized I needed to find manuals for how to fly the plane. There had to be some. There were storage lockers in the flight control cabin. I searched them and found a bunch of technical manuals. I pulled the co-pilot out to the floor, too, so I could use his seat for the manuals. I sat in the captain's seat and checked my watch. We were scheduled to land in New York in six and a quarter hours. I had that long to learn how to fly a Boeing 747. Oh Real God. pilots probably took longer. Probably, yeah. Maybe. Probably. Safe assumption. Yeah. I, I have a cousin who, who, and this, this is this is for. I have a cousin who, who you know, went to flight school. It, it, it took a little longer than six hours. I mean, Phoenix University online offers a perfectly satisfactory how to fly an airplane course. So I don't, I don't know what your problem is. See, she could have just saved herself a lot of trouble by playing Microsoft flight simulator. for her. <laughs> yeah. There you go. The technical manuals were about as useful as most of these things were. They were written for people who already knew everything. There was no flying for dummies. Every page was filled with jargon that was defined in pilot school back home. It was a mess. There was no way I could fly this damn thing. It's a terrible thing to be alone and not have anybody to talk to about a serious problem. It would have been nice just to give up, lie down, and forget everything. It was tempting, but Big something move. kept me going. I'm not wanting to fucking die? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I allowed myself to luxuriate in this misery for a short while. It wasn't like losing valuable time. I couldn't concentrate on the manuals until my mood changed. I, I like that that Norman laughs to like make excuses for everything that that Teresa does because yep. she can't ever not be perfect. You know, like if 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 he had just written like I I was overwhelmed by by grief and misery at this situation, I I was just I just knelt down and wept. The uh, the reader would be like, yeah, I get that. But but he has to backtrack. They're like no no no. But I wasn't wasting time. I just I just yeah. needed a minute. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a plane miles away. It was going in the same direction. 
Over several minutes, it got closer. I wondered if they were aware of my plane, but they had to be. These big planes all had radar. They couldn't fly around without it. The plane moved up to only a couple hundred yards away from us on my right and stayed in that position. It was a jet fighter. I understood. When my plane went off the air, the airports must have noticed immediately. There must have been a lot of panic. Teresa Hartley's plane is missing. Panicked calls were made to Prime Minister Blair, who hustled his jet fighters out to find the Hartley plane. And there they were. What's a jet fighter going to (laughs) do? They were checking us out. I bet the pilot was looking at me with binoculars. The world was finding out something happened to everybody else, and I was flying the plane. They had to know I didn't know how to fly a kite. There must have been pandemonium at the airport. The media would go nuts over this. A lot of assumptions here. <laughs> this is this is very that... peculiar to me because I have uh, I have uh, extended family who are both a you know like in like into flying the big passenger planes and also flying fighter jets. So this is very <laughs> bizarre for me. And 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 like the 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 construct of like. My my travel had to be top secret. No one could know about it. We took all these precautions. That's immediately thrown away. Like my right. my plane that everyone knew was my plane went off the grid, and fighter jets were immediately scrambled. No one cares about anybody else. The hundreds of passengers, like Teresa. Oh no. His binoculars should be able to see my depressed attitude. (laughs) Teresa is giving up. Teresa has lost hope. Teresa wants to go back downstairs and wait for the end. Maybe just, you know, Teresa doesn't want to be the person sitting in the fucking cockpit of a 747 with a bunch of passed out people Mm -hmm. and a dead plane trying to figure out how to solve it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's reason for depression, sure. Yeah. The airport must have been screaming at him to stay with me. Don't let her quit. Keep her trying. Show her there's hope. They understood me better than I did myself. Give her a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, what's this pilot going to do for her morale? Just exist, I guess? Do a barrel roll. Why not? Do a barrel roll. <laughs> Goose! They understood me better than I did myself. If it weren't for Steve, I might have already given up. And the, you know, 99 other people on the plane. They're in PCs. They don't matter. Right. (laughs) But I believed in something. And because I believed, I didn't have the luxury of giving up. I couldn't abandon hope. I waved to the plane and went back to the technical manuals. I read for a while and learned a few things. Unlike me. I found the compass. It was scaled with two-digit numbers. It currently was set on 23. What was that? I'd seen enough movies to know planes and ships use degrees for directions. Zero degrees was north. 180 degrees was south. 270 degrees was west. 23 on the compass had to mean 230 degrees, or southwest, which made sense, since we were going to New York and Europe was way up there level with Canada. There was one way to prove it. Change direction. I did know there was Again, something... We're getting, we're getting all that logic, you know. <laughs> right, right. 
Apparently she knew more about flying a plane than she thought she did. I, I did know there was something called the autopilot, and with a little more research in the manual, I found out how to turn the autopilot off and on. The steering wheel was a rectangular-shaped thing. I turned off the autopilot and moved the wheel counterclockwise. The compass changed down to 21, 19, 17. That jived with the counterclockwise direction I was turning. That confirmed it. I returned the compass to 23 and let the autopilot take over. Hang on. No. Okay. When you, when you turn one of those, or actually, no, I don't know for certain. Uh, so let me, let me say this is an, uh, an assumption. I believe that when you turn those wheels, you bank the plane. You don't rotate. Like, you don't turn it. You roll. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Also, and I could be wrong about this as well, but I feel like if you turn the autopilot off, can you just turn it back on and like, I have no sh- clue. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, um, and like I let the, cause we kind of, we had a conversation about the existence of autopilot and I let that go when she was like, Oh no, no, all of the, the electronics are down. But now that we've confirmed that there's an autopilot and it exists and it's going to just take the plane on its intended flight path, doesn't that diffuse a lot of the tension? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, yeah, again, just need you to, to land the thing. Yeah. Just, that's it. Um, also, yeah, the destruction of the electronics on the plane, I was kind of thinking, well, did it kill the autopilot? Maybe right. that's the issue. You know, but maybe we could have gone just a little deeper into that aspect of it at that time. And I don't know, cut out the bit about how it felt like it was in a mile to get across the aisle of the mm-hmm. thing because there were carts in the way. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean, and you can kick a cart out of the way. They're on wheels. It's fine. Right. The jet fighter was gone and replaced by a commercial airliner. That made sense, too. Jet fighters were fast, but couldn't carry enough fuel to cross the ocean. I learned many things from the manuals. How to operate the speed of the jet engines, which would also control altitude. How to use the rudder to turn the plane without using the wheel to lean the plane to the side. How do you... He knows about those things! (laughs) Yes. Also... Didn't she just say that the manuals were impossible to get any details from unless you already knew the stuff? Yep. But then she saw the pilots and was like, oh, no, it's fine. Right. Just the sight of that fighter pilot giving her a thumbs up made it okay for her to read these technical manuals about how to fly an aeroplane. Does that make that the the most, like, the world's greatest thumbs up ever? The thumbs up heard around the world. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> Hmm. Over the next four hours, I did small experiments with all things except for the brakes and landing gear. I thought lowering the landing gear at these altitudes might cause damage. Anyway, I wasn't willing to take the chance. My little experiments caused small changes in the plane's position. The other plane stayed right next to us all the time. I took a break and remembered that dramatic scene in the movie where Charles Lindbergh landed in Paris and 200,000 people pushed down the fences to run to his plane. It was known that what Lindbergh was trying was possible. It was only a question of whether Lindbergh would be the first or kill himself trying. Could I pull this off? 
the world must be wondering. There would be a lot of people at the airport which we could potentially right. Yeah, whatever enemies they were trying to hide Howl from probably know all about him now. Yep. Uh, hours later, a small business jet approached from the direction of the United States. It made a wide turn and came up directly in front of us at a distance of several hundred yards. It clearly intended that I follow it. The other commercial airliner backed away until I lost sight of it. In a few minutes, the business jet dropped altitude by a hundred or so feet. I pulled back on the engine control lever to lower myself down to his level. He went down again at much lower altitude. I matched him again. A third time he went down, and I followed him, staying as directly behind him as possible. We were communicating. I was telling him I would follow his movements, which was what he wanted. I also was telling him I could maneuver the plane. The people on the ground must have stopped stampeding in circles. I might pull this off after all. So I'm wondering if, if the, we, we, we talked a little bit before about her potential omniscience. Does she actually have that and know that these are the things that are happening on the ground and in the other plane? Or are we just getting a whole lot of Teresa, I don't know, telling and the book not showing? I, I think a lot of that, yeah. Okay. okay. Also, if the plane crashes, well, <clears throat> Teresa would be fine, right? Because she's a deity. Like, Likely, yeah. Like yeah. She, she would walk away. You'd think that, the, that a big motivating factor for all of us would be like, I have to save these passengers. Hal and I will be fine, but these people are innocents. Yeah, and, and given that she's like this selfless hero figure, like why isn't that what this is about? No, like, it I seems have to, to be save really more it, it really seems to be a lot more about gosh, I hope I don't screw this up and ruin my reputation. It does, yeah. He moves <sighs> slightly to the left. I understood he was doing a slight turn. I followed him. Now the compass arrow was on twenty two. It had been a 10-degree course correction. I knew transatlantic air traffic was crowded and planes had to be put into slots. One of these slots might not be a straight line all the way across the ocean. A plane might have to zigzag left and right all the way to stay away from other planes. I think they could clear some traffic. <laughs> right? <laughs> I found the phrase mechanical altimeter in a technical manual and located it among the instruments, which weren't working previously. Yeah. It said 29,000 feet. It did not depend on electronics, and it worked. Oh, thanks for clearing that up, Norman. It was one more thing in my repertoire. (laughs) According to my watch, we were 80 minutes from New York. There was a lot of cloud cover below, and I wanted to see something. I turned off the autopilot and pulled back on the engine speed control lever gently. We started going down. throttle? Yes. (laughs) The business jet ahead of me followed me down. We went down at a leisurely pace and in a few minutes reached the clouds at 15,000 feet. The cloud layer was a few thousand feet thick. We got under it at 12,000 feet and I stopped there. (laughs) Can I just point out real quick, um, just in terms of like writing, um, it is very like weird on the brain to say the plane in front of me followed me down. Like, what? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And also, this was a thing I pointed that I pointed out in the first chapter, and he's still doing it. This thing where he gives you really specific units of measurement. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know if the audience needs that. <laughs> it, you know, it might make the situation more tense. Also, if you're like, we descended into a cloud layer. I don't know how far down we were going. All yeah. these dials were spinning. I have no idea what any of them mean. I just had to have faith that there was going to be some sort of break somewhere. <sighs> the business jet was to my right. He repositioned in front of me and seemed satisfied with the altitude. He didn't try to make me change it. Soon, another small plane came towards us. It was a two-engine propeller plane. It maneuvered over close to the business jet. Suddenly, the jet veered off to the left, leaving the two-propeller plane as my guide. You can see a long distance at 12,000 feet. The horizon was probably 400 miles away. Well, over 200 anyways. There, Norman's looking out for you there, Joe. <laughs> I looked for land. A while later, I could see some. I had a map of the New York airport at my right hand, and also a map of the coast around New York. Long Island stuck out 118 miles from the city. He's Could I be looking it. at Long Island? <laughs> there was a large ship down there, and although at this altitude I couldn't see details, I could see from its shadow it was high above the water. It could only be a cruise ship with two or 3,000 people on board. Where right. were they going? They had to be wondering the same thing about me. <laughs> Did they? I'm pretty sure they're all drunk and gambling or something. Yeah. I'm pretty sure if you're a cruise ship off the coast of Long Island, you're pretty accustomed to planes. Yeah. And probably assume you're going to, I don't know, JFK Airport. Yeah. They had to be wondering the same thing about me. They could not fail to know those two planes overhead were my lead plane and my own plane. Safe Why on their ship. Why is this important? <laughs> Most of them must have pitied me and my fellow passengers, but maybe a few of them were envious. When their cruise was over, what would be worth remembering about it other than seeing me fly overhead? Oh my Anything. god. <laughs> the, the, this fun vacation that they were experiencing with their families and loved ones, they would forget about that immediately. But seeing me flying overhead in an aeroplane being the protagonist, they'll never forget that. They'll never forget humble Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> an owner of a popular magazine had recently died. He was a bon vivant who had had many interesting experiences besides his magazine. The next uh, issue showed a picture of him on one of his adventures. Real quick. Uh, not for me. Not for me at all. Uh, for the audience. What's a bon vivant? A bon vivant is somebody who just sort of lives the life. The rich people who are able to just go and do whatever they want, basically. Okay, I didn't need to know that. Uh, that, yeah. that was just for the audience. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> the next issue showed a picture of him on one of his adventures. The caption read, while alive, he lived. I'll bet there were people on that ship who would gladly trade places with me now, even if it meant this was their last day. I Sorry, thought that folks, this... I wouldn't I'm... trade with you. <laughs> I thought that this this fucking... 
the plane's going to go down. Norman was like, oh, yeah, this is some James Bond Mission Impossible shit. It gets really intense and we don't know what's going to happen. And even that one reviewer that that had a lot of negative opinions was like, no, that was exciting. But every time things start to happen, the tension is diffused by these these weird tangents about magazine owners and cruise ships. And also, is it just me or okay? Honestly, though, am I crazy? Because it I sometimes catch myself uh, losing attention, you know, on on this as as enrapturing as it is. Did it sound like that Norman was setting up for, like, oh, this bomb vivant, uh, all the people would have trade places with that person. But no, like, like, was there a purpose to bringing that magazine owner up, or did it just kind of stop? Um, I mean, the purpose had to have been to explain that you know, there are people out there that really live their lives and there are the, the little people that are envious of those people that get to live big, interesting lives. And Teresa is one of those people that gets to live a big, interesting mm-hmm. life. And all those poor little people who have nothing exciting going on in their day-to-day lives would gladly trade places with her even if it meant they were going to die because golly gee at least they got to live a little because you know being on a cruise ship that there's no life on a cruise ship at all it's one of the no. most dismal places you could it's ever so be. boring <laughs> i mean i would probably never grow on a cruise ship myself but i'm not knocking people that do and they sure. you know you you buy the unlimited booze tickets and you can have yourself a great time on a cruise yeah. ship seafood buffet just fucking party down man yeah my lead plane had directed me to a compass heading of 27 due west in a while i could see land on the right side this had to be long island connecticut and rhode island New Jersey would still be further away. A few minutes later, I could see roughness over a small portion of the horizon. This was the skyscrapers of Manhattan. The lead plane started lowering its altitude, and I followed. We descended to 3,000 feet and stayed there for a while. I was starting... This is so boring. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I I thought I was the only one! No, it's not just you. It's it's the way that Norman Baton writes. It's so tedious. I was starting to see pleasure boats far below. The tip of Long Island was no longer an amorphous blur, but I could see features, or rather differences in how land was used, some green areas and some developed areas. It was still too far to see buildings and streets from my angle. That whole paragraph didn't need to... No. And and real quick, since Norman is such a big fan of logic, I just want to point out, like, let's, let's just... Okay, we can have we can have this person who's never flown a plane before. We can have them land on Rhode Island, or we could fly them towards New York. No, I um, think they they she is going to the airport. I believe we're just uh, talking but, about every single aspect yeah. of the trip. There, there's no sense of what's actually important here. Like that's yeah. A giant pelican flew past the cockpit. I had never seen a pelican so big. For a minute, I could swear he was looking at me and marveling at my majesty. Then he flew away. 
Like it's just Wait, are you these... reading this too? I can't. <laughs> just these tangents about whatever pops into his head. In the midst of this tense what's what's I assume meant to be this like this tense action danger moment. Um I don't get it. I think we might actually be getting to the tense part, guys. My god, let's go. I'm excited. <laughs> Sorry for interrupting. I was <laughs> the lead plane led me down to 1800 feet. They had some reason for this. I guess that they like <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I guess that they wanted to see how I handled the plane at lower speeds or denser air. At this height, I could clearly see the pleasure boats and people on board waving enthusiastically at me. We reached the tip of Long Island and I noticed something. Many hundreds of pleasure boats were going around the tip, but all in a southward direction. They were trying to get to New York City to greet me, but they oh were too God. far away to make it in time. As the next minutes passed, I saw thousands of more boats heading for New York. This seemed odd. I was supposed to land at the airport and immediately fly out to West Point by helicopter. They would never see me. Then I realized they must know exactly where I was. The media would be informing them. They just wanted to see me flying over, which was likely to be the closest they could get to me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We were about 20 minutes from New York, and now the ocean seemed covered with pleasure boats. They were spread out as far as I could see. How many of them were there? A half million? <laughs> A million? I didn't know the there were nobody this many boats right in the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Empress Kanye West. <laughs> My lead plane prompted me to go down to 900 feet. At this height, the noise from my plane's engines had to be bursting the eardrums of the people on the boats. This was not a normal airplane approach. I thought they didn't want me to come down too quickly when we reached the airport. They were reducing the challenge of one of the three dimensions I had to worry about. But deafening the millions of people. Yeah, for, for your convenience. Yep. I had a map of New York in the airport in my right hand. The runway was two miles long and pointed straight at the Empire State Building. I would have no problem finding the runway even without the lead plane. I lowered the landing gear. Lights indicated they were locked in place. Everything was set. But then my lead plane lowered its landing gear and immediately raised it again. What did that mean? The lead plane did it two more times. He lowered the wheels and raised them up. I got the hint and raised my landing gear, too. He now turned left, and I followed. New York City was to my right. We were getting away from it. What the hell? He... Empress <gasps> Teresa curse! She said the hell word. Oh, my God. He lowered his altitude, and I followed him down to 500 feet. The ocean was really covered with boats around here. Millions Stop. of them, it looked like. Stop saying boats. <laughs> then I saw a clear space ahead. Two rows of ships were lined up in parallel, and between them, there wasn't a single boat. The clear water was a rectangle, something like two miles long, and we were going right down the middle of it. They wanted me to land on water. Well, I mean, okay, cool, that happened in actual life, yeah. Yeah, I mean, water landings are certainly a thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and planes 
um, are buoyant at least yeah. for yeah. for a given amount of time. I, I feel terrible. I can't remember his name, but the the captain, the pilot who actually landed the. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean that yeah, that happened. Guy's name either, but I do remember. That's yeah, everyone remembered him because he was the last one off off the plane. Yeah, and he was, you know, a a, a real actual goddamn hero. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, um, while I do agree with like, a, hey, instead of having this lady that we can't communicate with land on hard tarmac, let's have her set down on water. I, I agree with this, um, except the water is is uh, just packed with thousands of pleasure boats just boats and boats and boats it's full of people i guess that's why norman thought it was necessary to point that out to us or rather hammer that into us multiple times Mm -hmm. i nearly panicked but rallied i had to make a decision something you saw in the news about once a year was a plane landing without its nose landing gear down The plane would land with the nose scraping the ground in a cloud of sparks. I'd seen this several times. What I had never heard of was a pilot deliberately landing on water. Well, I guess it... When was this written? 2014. When did... Hang on. Trip to Google. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that was fairly recent, though, so that might have happened... But, uh... But water landings... Plans right. of doing emergency landings in water, I feel like, have been fairly common since I was very young. Just hearing that, hearing that that happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's the deliberate part that uh, is supposed yeah, to make this different. Maybe. But are you really deliberately landing on water? I. I mean, and um, again, oh good. Did you Google plane water landing facts? Yeah, yeah. Let me let me find the. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, you guys keep going. I'm gonna try and find the uh, the pilot and make sure this is the right thing. Okay. All right. Oh, this is, uh, it, it was the miracle on the Hudson, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that guy. Okay, 2009. Oh no, huh. shit. Okay, moving on. Yep. <clears throat> the lead plane was going down closer to the water. I went down a little, but not as far as him. We reached the beginning of the clear rectangle. He went down to just a few feet above water. I chickened out. I couldn't do it. I kept three or four hundred feet up. It took less than a minute to reach the end of the clear water, and the lead plane suddenly turned off to the left much more sharply than the 747 could do. He abandoned me. I was on my own. (laughs) You just got out of your way, Teresa. It's fine. (laughs) My heart must have been beating 200 times a minute. What happened? What was wrong with landing at the airport? No pilot ever landed on water if he had a choice. It must be very dangerous. Why did they want me to do it? To fuck I developed... with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just just in the, the government meeting rooms. Hey, wouldn't it be fucking funny if we made it land in the water? No, do it. Do it. Great. I want to I see if she can do it. Come on. It'll be funny. I developed a theory. They didn't know how skillful I was at controlling the plane. Any mistake on my part would not be forgiven by the hard runway. The water might give me some slack. Yeah, try jumping into water from 400 feet up at 
hundreds of miles an hour and see how much slack it gives you. Yeah, well, I'd been manipulating this plane for hours, and I thought I was doing pretty good. I'm going to the airport. They can go to hell. I made a long, slow turn to the left until I was finally pointed to New York. I kept checking the map of New York and the relationship of the beginning of the runway with the contour of the shoreline before it. Then I positioned the plane towards where the runway should be, and sure enough, there it was in the distance. I lowered the landing gear. Lights indicated they were locked in place. I moved the plane some distance to the right and aimed it straight down the runway's throat. I stayed down at 400 feet. The, two little prope- the little two-propeller plane was positioned on my right to keep an eye on me. I went down to 250 feet. I felt sorry for the boaters below. So, I, very reckless decision here. Like, yeah. I can't communicate with anyone. There may be all sorts of information that experts in flying and air traffic control mm-hmm. are communicating. And they're doing their best to tell me that by sending up these other planes to guide me. But right. to hell with them. I know better. I've read a flight manual for the last three and a half hours. <laughs> Fuck it. We're doing it my way. Okay, I, I, I have a big question too. Um, does just does the radio just not work? Is that what like the electronics are down? Is that what that means? I, I it does seem like all of the other instruments of the airplane are functional, except the radio because the plot doesn't want there to be a radio. Yeah, it kind of. I mean, it kind of feels like if all of these other systems are working, they're should be at least basic radio contact. Also, another thing to point out is, you know, Teresa, do you know what is not a big concern with a crash landing in water and like a botched landing on a, on a landing strip? Fire, you know, <laughs> hundreds of passengers yeah. can't move. Fire. Yeah. Yeah. I was half a mile from the runway when I saw something. There were trucks parked on the runway. In 20 seconds, I reached the beginning. There were hundreds of trucks on the runway blocking my way. Stop saying runway. I kept moving down the runway. It was the same the entire length. (laughs) Buses, fire engines, and trucks, trucks, and more trucks. Large vehicles that I couldn't miss seeing. Maybe that's why they told you not to go to the fucking yeah, runway. Because of the, the, the already established thousands of reporters and, and people who just wanted to see Teresa, the hero god person. The runway's end was in sight. <sighs> I pushed it, forward man. on the engine speed lever. The plane no! started climbing Don't slowly. Don't do that! <laughs> you're gonna crash into the ground! <laughs> The plane started climbing slowly, too slowly. The Empire State Building was straight ahead. I pushed the lever further forward. The plane climbed. There was something I wasn't doing right. The plane wasn't climbing fast enough. (laughs) We were overdeveloped areas. The altimeter read 340 feet. It had to be hell on the ground. Storefront windows getting blown out, people being knocked off their feet. I was getting to the end of Queens. Why didn't you land in the water? (laughs) 
the East River was coming up, I could see I wasn't going to get over the Empire State Building. I turned the wheel slightly to the left. Just to the left of the Empire State was a few hundred yards of buildings only a few hundred feet tall. Then the skyscrapers covered the rest of Manhattan. I aimed for this narrow gap of lower buildings. Seconds later, I had reached the eastern edge of Manhattan. Can you imagine how fucking terrified these people have to be? Jesus, yeah. Um, I, tell me if I'm just way off base here. If I was in charge of that fighter jet, and like, this person isn't landing in the water, and they're headed towards a highly densely packed civilized area, mm-hmm. disable the plane. Do it now. Yeah. Yeah, shoot yeah. it down. Yeah. Safely, you know. Just take it out and let it fall into the water and send rescue teams immediately. And mm-hmm. The pain. The pain, yes. The, um, pain. <laughs> the plane passed a few hundred feet above the buildings in this gap, but it was still very far below the top of the Empire State Building, which was not very far to my right, and below the tops of buildings to my left. For what seemed like an eternity, I passed over the buildings of Manhattan probably blowing out a million windows. And all the time, I thought what a disaster it would be if I crashed this gigantic plane among those buildings. It would be worse than 9-11. Oh, it my God. It would take months uh, no. to clean the mess. God. Norman, no. I'll be right back. <laughs> all right, we're up to two. I'm Two sorry. breaking crisis. We, we kind of <laughs> lost it for a minute. Was did he say it would be? It would take weeks to clean up the mess. Not months. oh my god, the civilian casualties. No months, months, months. months I'm uh, yeah, that's it. It would take months to clean the mess. Oh man, oh, I'm back. Are you sure <laughs> you're gonna be okay? <laughs> Finally, I arrived over the river and into New Jersey, which did not have buildings here. I screamed and shook my head. Then I broke down and cried. The unfairness and hopelessness of this situation. Why didn't you land in the water? Then I fired my gun up in the air and went, ah! (laughs) (laughs) Even if I didn't crash this thing, Steve might already be dead. It was too much. I cried and cried. The little two-propeller plane was at my side again. It must have been there all along to document my crash into Manhattan, killing 40,000 people. They had to have seen my breakdown. Well, what did they expect? I stopped crying out. They expected outside. you to land in the water. <laughs> yeah, they expected you to land in the goddamn water, Teresa. <laughs> I stopped crying out loud and sniffled my way into calmness. There was still this colossal community coffin to land. I made a U-turn and climbed higher as I went over Staten Island. The that damned was actually Atlantic not a bad turn of race for Northern Bhutan. Yeah, it really wasn't. Coffin. I didn't hate that. The damned Atlantic Ocean was ahead. The little two-engine propeller plane stayed at my side but didn't try to lead me. They were leaving me alone. They didn't want to spook me anymore. But what did they want me to do? Land in Land the, in the water! water. <laughs> I tried to think calmly. Pilots didn't want to land on water if they could avoid it. It must be dangerous. 
They were afraid to let me use the runway. Or were they? Might they have changed their minds? Why would they change their mind? They wanted you to land in the water. You know what? They might have. Let's fly back (laughs) over New York to find out. Yeah, weaving in between skyscrapers, having a meltdown. (sighs) My dog has come into the room to check to see if I'm okay. Like, he's very nervous. (laughs) I can imagine a bunch of people in a room reviewing the video of my aborted landing at the airport. She didn't bob the nose up or down or side to side. She didn't lean the plane side to side. She didn't wander off the runway. She kept the plane at the same height. She has fair control. The landing gear looks good. I vote we better land on the runway. This is boring. I agree. I agree. I agree. (laughs) I agree. I agree. I agree. That's what could be happening. Or not. Was that? I mean, I'm assuming because you know how to read. Does it say I agree seven times like that? Um, six, but yeah. Okay. I reached the ocean. The rectangle was still clear of boats. They hadn't blocked it to force me back to the runway, but neither did the lead plane get in front of me to choose a landing for me. Or else they still wanted me to use the water. Or else they didn't want me to use the water, but were afraid to block the rectangle because it might throw me into total panic. Or else they wanted me to look for another airport where I wouldn't crash into skyscrapers. Or maybe <laughs> they gave you a perfectly good place to crash land, and you didn't do it for some reason, and now they have no yeah, idea. Yeah, now they don't know what the fuck, because you become completely unpredictable. And, and they're just concerned and confused. They hoped I'd figure out what they really wanted. There was only one way to find out. I made another long U-turn and used the map to zero in on the runway as before and lowered the plane to 700 feet. The runway was in sight. From a distance, it looked clear. I got close to it, and it was clear. There wasn't a matchbox toy on it anywhere. Whether they preferred me to land there or not, they were leaving it up to me. They just just cleared it because you're, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I noticed an enormous crowd a few hundred yards off the northern side of the runway. I'd seen the crowd at Red Sox games. This one must have been a hundred times as big. There had to be Uh two million people down there. Maybe three million. Ah, heck, everybody in North America was here. This situation had never happened before and would never happen again. It was the Hindenburg disaster multiplied a hundred times. They wanted to tell their grandchildren (laughs) here. (laughs) I'm about to run this entire plane into the giant crowd of everyone in North America. That's right. Also, wait, that was, I I thought that was you being editorializing the everyone in North America bit was in the book. Yes. Okay. Possibly not meant to be literal. Yeah. And you you really don't need to give Norman that much benefit of the doubt yeah i mean yeah i guess you're right um i i mean i mean i'll I'll give him enough that like maybe that wasn't meant to be literal and this book has just put me in fight or flight (laughs) Um, but for a second when i realized that that wasn't just david adding commentary i thought that he sincerely meant that everyone in north america was crowded into this airport no, no, I think it's, yeah, 
This is Teresa editorializing. Yeah. My my favorite bit about this though is that the next line is in quotes, so it's dialogue that she says out loud. Mm-hmm. The restroom line must reach to Philadelphia. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, was that meant to be a a clever jokey joke? I didn't go down. This high off the ground, I felt safe to lean the plane slightly to the left and turn around again while pushing the engine control speed levers forward to increase altitude a little. The people on the ground had to be going nuts wondering what I'd do next. Yeah, yeah. because you're putting lives at risk. <laughs> and and you're just like you're just flying around in circles. I circled around over the bay, far back out to sea then turned back to New York while lowering the altitude to 200 feet. I wanted to simplify the landing. Already being barely off the ground, it would be easy to cut the engines a little and drop down. God help the thousands of boats below me. People were probably being knocked overboard. Oh my God. The airport was in sight. The runway was still clear. I was only hundreds of yards from the runway. I pulled the levers back slightly until I thought I was very close to the ground. Don't use the altimeter or anything. Just, no, just, just think just about eyeball it. it. I'd found I, that a I, big plane did... Go ahead. Go ahead. I, and I realize that I am not a pilot saying this. Is there, is there a button for your flaps? Like, the flaps are very important. For braking... Please put the flaps up, Norman. Norman. We're, we're limited by Norman's knowledge of airplanes, which is, I think he's just making it up as he goes along. I think he read some technical manuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ones that were written for people who already knew, who knew what was. Yes. <laughs> Insider knowledge. Mm-hmm. Also, um, something that hasn't come up in all of this tension mm-hmm. is the fact that Jumbo Jets generally are given just enough fuel to get to their destination. Yeah, I actually had that thought at one and point. And so, that... yeah, um, circle around, come <clears> back, <throat> circle around again, come, yeah, you know, maybe... Simplify the landings, so turn around again. Yeah, I'm not saying that, you know, that needed to be put in there, but it would have been a nice thing to add in to, you know, kind of concrete the tension of the yeah, whole thing. No, like, you're what right. if I you're ran out of fuel right. and fell out of the fucking sky? Right. It would be some, yeah. I'd found that a big plane didn't react instantly. Just, no! <laughs> just five seconds before reaching the beginning of the runway, I pulled the engine speed control lever most of the way back. The landing gear hit the pavement hard, and the plane bounced. I had anticipated this possibility, and knew there was no changing my mind now. I pulled the engine speed control lever all the way back. The plane hit the pavement again, but didn't bounce. We were rolling. I pushed down on the two large brake pedals. The plane was going towards the left of the runway. I turned the, reel, I turned the wheel right. The plane went slightly to the right. I turned the wheel slightly to the left. I'd gotten to know the feel of the wheel. Oh my God. So boring. Yeah. His prose. We were like still. He, <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm sorry. When, you know, you're good. When he's not saying insane shit. Um, <laughs> that. It's just 
just the least interesting prose I've ever, not ever, I've probably read more boring books in my life, but yeah, he's such a boring writer. We were still rolling at high speed. I could hear the brakes screeching, but we weren't slowing down much. What the hell was wrong now? I'd used up a third of the runway, and still we were going over a hundred miles an hour. We were going to barrel into the civilians. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully those people are clearing out. (laughs) Just people trampling over each other's fear. I released the brakes for one second, because that's what you want to do when you're not slowing down. Mm -hmm. The screeching stopped in that second, so the brakes were working. I pressed down again. (laughs) I could see the end of the runway because emergency vehicles were parked near it. We were still whizzing by vehicles on the side of the runway at high speed. What would happen if I ran out of runway? Finally, I could see that the plane was slowing down. The runway was only a half a mile away. Stop saying runway. (laughs) Also, what will happen if you run out of runway? You'll (laughs) fucking crash. Yep. There's typically a wall at the end of them. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, Fuck around and find out. (laughs) Finally, I could see that the plane was slowing down. The runway was only half a mile away. The plane kept slowing down. And slowing down. And slowing down. The end of the runway was maybe 200 yards away when the plane stopped. 200 yards? I mean, okay. Mm -hmm. But if you're really trying to ramp that tension up, like, why not two Right at the edge, yeah. Right. Um, Let's just... That's in New York, right? Mm Mm-hmm. How long is the New York... Runway. I released uh, the keep, brakes. Keep going. I'll, I'll tell you. Thanks. <laughs> I released the brakes, but the plane started creeping forward again. I pushed back down on the brakes. I was exhausted. This was worse than falling from the jet fighter. At least then there was only one outcome to worry about. Tears streamed from my eyes. I was relieved, but also very shaken up. I got to thinking. The plane was safely on the ground with nobody at the wheel but a 19-year-old kid who knew nothing about flying. I could see people rushing towards the plane. I can do anything, I said out loud to myself. A few hours earlier, I was ready to give up and wait for death. To uh, Norman's credit, the the 200... uh, Wait, did he say yards or feet? Yards. Give me just a minute, continue. All kinds of vehicles were surrounding the plane. They were all blasting their horns and sirens in celebration of my latest miracle. Oh my god. I noticed one of the fire trucks getting in place at my left. It wasn't a city fire truck, but some kind of airport vehicle. But it did have a ladder. They extended the ladder toward the side of the plane. To Norman's credit, uh, the 200 yards thing, that, that checks out. Okay. okay. Um, just in terms of how long our runway is, so... I mean, it's not good for like tension and writing. It right, but we we have we have to give it to him when he gets it. <laughs> um, did we need to know that it was an airport emergency vehicle and not a city emergency vehicle? Like, did that make the book any better for anyone else? Why not just a stair truck? Like those yeah. are pretty. 
Like that's that's good. They're gonna have those. It's fine. Right. You know, and at this point, you could just say something like the next, like the next minutes passed in, in like flashes. Like the like first people were getting off, then people were being checked by doctors, and it was all just crazy nonsense. And I was just exhausted from almost dying. But that's not Norman's style. We have to know every moment. Oh, God, can you imagine what Norman's diary is like? (laughs) (laughs) Today I woke up at 7.14 and 39 seconds a.m. And then I put on my trousers. No, no, no. I put on the left leg of my trousers. And then the right (laughs) leg of my trousers. I went down my exactly 24 stairs and toasted a piece of bread for 4 minutes and 37 seconds. I ate the toast one bite at a time. I thought to myself, I make the best toast. (laughs) In a million years, people will still be talking about my toast. (laughs) In a minute, I heard somebody coming up the stairs. He entered the cockpit. I can't let go of the brakes, I told him. He reached up to play with some switches on the ceiling panel. After a few seconds, he said, Now you can. That was good enough for me. I jumped up, leaving it all to him, and went downstairs. The passenger entrance door was open, and airport workers poured through the door to scatter around the plane. What happened? one of them asked. I hope Hal only put them to sleep, but I don't know. I worked my way down the left aisle and across to the right to rejoin Steve. He had a heartbeat. He was alive. Thank God. In a moment, he started breathing and slowly regained conscious. Conscious is the word, by the way. In a moment, he started breathing and slowly regained conscious. As, as one does. I, I can't Not consciousness. No, no. I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. He saw me and the commotion in the cabin. What happened? Hal put everybody to sleep except me. We were over the Atlantic. He understood. I'm glad someone does. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me you landed the plane. Yup. Not bad for a math major, huh? Not bad, he grinned proudly. Yes. All doors were now open, allowing sounds from outside to come in. The nearby vehicles were still blaring their horns and sirens. An immense crowd of people was cheering. And from the nearby water, thousands and thousands of boats were tooting their horns. How many millions of people had waited here to see me arrive? How many thousands of them had died due to your (laughs) irresponsible actions, you selfish bitch? The rest of the passengers and crew were awake. Some order was restored. Steve and I waited patiently until the powers that be told people to move out. The captain, co-pilot, and three stewardesses came over to meet us. The captain said, They told me you landed the plane without using the flaps and reverse thrusters. Do you know how amazing that is? Not really. Unbelievable! (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. You made history. They'll be talking about it for years. Oh, my God. I told Steve, 
When I found out I had to land the plane without help, I got angry with God. I asked him what the heck the point of this was. What did he say? He said, look what you've done. You can do anything. Don't let people down. Oh my God. I'm glad that we put the lives of of thousands of people at risk for this, for Teresa's sake. Yeah. That's the that's the kind of God Just so that, that I want to worship. Could, yeah. It's like the fucking Christmas shoes song. <laughs> the plane was inspected and towed to a terminal after the difficult task of clearing vehicles and crowds out of the way. We disembarked and were met by airport officials. They needed information to write reports to the National Transportation Safety Board. They arrested me everybody... for committing an act of terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> Why did everybody on the plane go to sleep? How much did I know about flying? What did I do with my time during the crossing over the Atlantic? Why did I refuse to land on water? Why did I try to land at the airport a second time? I also would like answers to those questions. <laughs> um, I think the answer to those questions is that she's a freaking sociopath. A narcissistic sociopath? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When they had all the information they needed for reports nobody would read, one of the officials said, You left a real mess in Queens and Manhattan. The Boeing 747 generates a lot of energy, and it has to be absorbed by something. What kind of mess, Steve asked. Thousands of windows broken. Some people injured. Who's going to be responsible? Not Teresa. No. No, she can't be held responsible. There would be I don't so many know. deaths. That's the actual line in the book, by the way. Who's going to be responsible? Not Teresa. No, she can't be held responsible. I don't know who will take the fall. Nobody looks responsible. There's no way. If she weren't the protagonist and god emperor of this book, there's no way that there wouldn't be consequences for for all of this. Right. I mean, at the very least, consequences for not landing on the water yeah. were guided to do. <sighs> I added, if there had been a simple written procedure for how to fly the plane, things might have been different. All I had was a pile of technical manuals, they don't explain anything if you don't already know everything. If there were a simple written procedure for flying an airplane, we wouldn't need pilot licensing processes. I also, think the NTSB will consider that. <laughs> also, like, like, uh, oh, I, I needed a very simple, just you know, written thing, not like planes, like signaling me to land in the water simply or you know the ntsb is going to consider writing up a very simple document to explain how to land in the event that you happen to be transporting a magical alien life form and all of the people except for one girl go Mm -hmm. to sleep and she has to go and show how big her fucking alien dick is. Right. Like, in case of rapture, 
<laughs> this is what you do. There was one more thing I wanted clarified. What if I had gone straight to the airport without knowing about the water landing option? Yeah. President Stinson oh. would have ordered the runway cleared. She couldn't risk putting you in a panic. We went out into the public area to get away and were surrounded by hundreds of reporters sticking microphones and cameras at us. Kill Doesn't them with them your god them. powers. Do it. Do it. Dozens of, them. Dozens of them were shouting questions all at the same time. Each reporter was desperate to get a response from me. It would make his career. When we got to the main room of the terminal, it was wall-to-wall people cheering wildly. They wanted to be part of history. We would have been crushed to death if not for the team of government security people pushing outwards at this mob. It had been decided to take us to West Point by car rather than helicopter as originally planned. We finally made it to a limousine and took off. So aside from the the NPCs that don't matter, there were really no stakes at any point. No, only Teresa's pride. Yeah. Like literally the only drama here was would she have to do something sensible and safe or would she have to succeed at showboating and beat the odds? Mm-hmm. I have a gator clip here. I'm going to place it on my nipple to bring me back to sanity. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh, that hurts. (laughs) So, I mean, we've now read I guess a chapter and a half of Empress Teresa. Um... Is it as bad as its reputation? It's, again, there's there's a quote from the book, one of the four cornerstones of Teresa's philosophy mm-hmm. on page 391 of the book. So this book goes at least 391 pages. Mm-hmm. I don't know, because it doesn't have page markings, I don't know how far into the book chapter 22 is. Right. I don't know if that's halfway or toward the end. I really, um, I, I, I mean, I maybe can tell you how many pages the book has. Right. Um, you know, also something just with the way it's written, it, it, chapter 22 it it feels like it's chapter two just like the way it's written there's no yeah it like like if you had told me that was chapter two i would i believe you like yeah like it, it almost feels like based on the sample chapters that we've read each self-contained chapter is just a short episodic adventure in the life of emperor of empress Teresa. well and Norman does say in the uh, in the notes, the author's note at the beginning, that this chapter is a self-contained episode. So you know, it's it's unique in several uh, ways. That's fair. Um, uh, uh, there are three hundred and thirty-eight pages, by the way. 
338. That's what it says on Amazon. So how does the quote come from 391? Um, maybe I'm... the Kindle edition is different from the physical edition in page count. Maybe. In, but it, it, it says even print length, 338 pages on the product details section. Okay, well... The, you know what? Are we gonna act like this book is some is in any facet gonna start making sense? <laughs> I'm fairly convinced at this point that this book goes at least to 761 pages, and that's the missing one. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Lovecraft joke for anyone got, paying yeah. attention. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a little ashamed because I have read Lovecraft and I didn't get it. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, yeah. No. This I I, uh, I I really don't know. I mean, again, giving credit where credits due. He did a thing. Yeah. And I can't take that away from him. No one can take that away from him. He sat down. And he wrote a book, and he published it, and it's we're actually talking about it. Mm -hmm. So you know, kudos for that. That's an accomplishment. But notoriety does not necessarily mean quality. I want to point out, <laughs> like while you're giving him credit, he did this thing, and in sobriety wakefulness alertness mm -hmm. typed out worse than 9-11 in his fictional book mm -hmm. you have to you you have to like square that away <laughs> with what giving him credit yeah yeah i mean that's a real that's a real bold statement and a really uh i it, it lost me a little bit there i mean and can First you... of all, I mean, it, it, go ahead. It's only one plane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, her fucking around and flying around the city for hours probably. There were definitely <laughs> some lives lost during that. So maybe she was just doing the math in her head, like, all right, when I flew over all these cars and they exploded, <laughs> that's this many lives. But, but and then if I crash into this building, it's just, I'm just going to double down. <laughs> but no, they, they cleared it up. Just property damage and a few people injured and no one to blame. Um, no one's responsible for any of this. Before we move on from the 9-11 thing, not only did he reference that, but if someone from, like, and I'm terrible with history, um, I didn't like something like the 1900s or whatever, if they heard like him referenced the Hindenburg, they'd be like, my God. Yeah. He, he said what? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And I get it. You want to, you know, establish that this is going to be a really big disaster. But um, you could just say if, uh, I don't know, maybe something tasteful would have been to say, if I crashed this plane, it would be a disaster unprecedented in, uh, you know, recent history or sure. something like that. Or the the cost to lives would be unconscionable. I, you know, I, 
And you know what could have been an interesting angle of a place for us to learn about Teresa is Teresa having to weigh the options of do I land in the water, potentially kill all these people, or do I try on the runway and potentially kill like city people, like mm, decisions. Right. And I mean, I feel like Norman, the, the issue at hand here, I think, is that Norman Bhutan set up this situation where he had those things in mind. Mm-hmm. Like he was probably thinking about how, oh man, that's a real hard decision. What do I do? If I go this way, I might kill all of these people in the boats. And if I go this way, it might kill all of these people in the airport or damage, you know, whatever. And gosh, Teresa's really going to have to work her way through this one. Mm-hmm. And, and that would have been interesting to read. That's not what we got. No. Because none of that made it to the page. And ultimately, I think that's that's been the the kind of through line with this book is that there's a lot here that could be developed, but he's telling us what Teresa is thinking and not showing us the consequences of any of it. Right. And it's just not... You know, it's just I, not good. <laughs> yeah, and also, um, okay, so how did a, a potentially how did a thing and put the put the lives of thousands at danger? What's going to change with how? How is the government going to start ch- treating how? Are, are there consequences to that? They might Anything? get him a second layer of fucking mat board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like there are so many like i almost feel like unless we become the empress Teresa podcast like there there are these little riddles that like things that were referenced in in that chapter that had happened in the past that like we'll never know well i mean i think um we could encourage the people at home to if they're interested, check out the book for themselves, read it, yeah. let us know what they think. It's true. Uh, you know, and if you have read the book all the way through, feel free to get in touch through Facebook or Twitter, social media in general, yeah. let us know. Um, I, I suppose um, <laughs> if, if there are other chapters worth visiting, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let us know if you'd like us to read yeah, anything else. if you want to hear some book. more. <laughs> um. I, I, are we done with this? Um, are, are, are either of you, this is the question, are either of you, because this book is available, I have the Amazon page up for $2.99 on Kindle and $12.50 in paperback. Um, are, are, you, are either of you going to go off and, and get a hold of a copy for yourselves and, uh, and get the, the whole story? Like alone by myself? Yeah, yeah, just on your own time. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for listening. Any copyrighted content contained within this podcast is used for purposes of review. Brainworms podcast is David Combs, Christian Schaefer, and Joseph Wells. Editing and post production by David Combs.
Art provided by Kay Magdalene. The theme music is HodgePod Number no. 1 by Brian Davis. If you like what you heard, please support us on Patreon or Ko-Fi, or by leaving a review on your favorite listening app. 